Father, we know that there's so much turmoil in this world and in our country. We ask that you would be one to use those who call you God. Use us all in a way that we can bring peace, that we can be those peacemakers, understanding that if we step out or we say something or we try to be those who talk about what is right and wrong, that we might ourselves suffer persecution. But help us, Lord, to be brave. You told us to be witnesses here, to be a light shining on a hill. Help us, Lord, when we do open our mouths to speak the words that can bring healing, direction, wisdom, and comfort. We ask also that as we get into your word this morning, you would enlighten us, you would help us with the difficult positions we face in this life and we know that you are faithful to do so as we sang lord you are for us you are not against us and we give you thanks for that in jesus name amen well the current state of affairs throughout the world there are strong divisions have you noticed there's hong kong and taiwan battling to maintain their freedom in mainland china or from mainland china India and China, 20 Indian soldiers were killed uh, between China and uh, India. There was a battle, and they didn't use guns. They used boards with nails sticking out of them, and they attacked each other. There is now a permanent presence on that border with uh, India, and thousands of Chinese troops are up there. There's Iran and Israel and the United States constantly battling back and forth. Then there's the U.S. and China. China no longer has a favorable position. And there's even a move worldwide. Secretary Pompeo is trying to get the EU to see that there is a problem with China and how they're trying to take over most of the world. And then coming closer to home, there's BLM and there's Antifa in the U.S. up in Seattle and also in New York. They're trying to take some territory there. We have the COVID-19 restrictions. There's arguments over wearing masks or to open a business. Uh, there is, is the pulling down of statues. There's wanting to rename in our own Orange County here John Wayne Airport because of some things that he has said in the past. And so there's this uh, desire to obliterate all history, all people from history. And, of course, we know that this is the Marxists, the ones who are self-proclaimed Marxists in the BLM and Antifa movement. And then there is an effort to regulate speech and gender, what you can say about the different genders and who can claim a different gender, especially in the sports world. Women are being set aside, the um, cisgender women, the ones who claim to be women from birth. When it comes to competing in sports, there is a move to make those who have become women that were men uh, in their eyes, and they are competing in sports, and they're wiping out the women's field of sports, and there's a, a big problem with that. I could go on and on and on about the conflicts and divisions, not only in the United States, but throughout the world. And there has always been conflict. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. Cain didn't like what Abel was doing. He was jealous of him, and so he ended up taking his life. And in the church specifically, one of the very first churches had their conflicts described in the Bible. Now, how would you like that? Calvary Chapel Lakeside, 
Apostle Paul shows up and he starts writing a little letter about the church in Lakeside and all the problems that we've ever had in Lakeside. And he sets them down for the next 2,000 years for everyone to read. Now, fortunately, he wasn't naming names in this particular epistle that he wrote, but they were written for our benefit and so that we could learn from them and not repeat the mistakes. And by the way, that's one thing they want to do with the history get rid of it. As I told the youth group this week, uh, if we don't remember history, we're destined to repeat it. And that is actually where we are. We are on the cusp of that. Now in chapter one of 1 Corinthians in verse 10, Paul makes an appeal for no division. He says there, I appeal to you brothers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And of course he said this because there was a division on who is the best leader inside the church, whether it was Paul, whether it was Cephas or Peter, whether it was Jesus Christ himself or Apollos, they were going back and forth. And this division was called a Schisma is what it was uh, termed as in the original Greek. It's a split or a gap. It's a rent, a a tearing, so to speak. Uh, A division is what we know it as. And that's what was taking place inside the church. Now, this is probably quite a large church. It was the only one in the city of Corinth. And there were thousands of people there. And in chapter 11, we'll see Paul mentioning that there is conflict and division in this same church. He wants to address it once again in a different area. The first conflict was, again, over the leadership. And the next conflict or division is between the people inside the church and what they are doing. They're actually causing harm to the people who are inside the church. They are thinking of themselves first rather than those who are around them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, we left off in verse 16 last time. Verse 17, it says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it because he has probably heard numerous stories about what is going on with the leadership. Remember the super apostles that are in 2 Corinthians? He talks about those, those who would cause division inside the church, those who would suck people over to their side of the argument, and they would take their stand, they would put a stake in the ground, say, I'm not moving from this place. And then there's just the regular people inside the church that have conflict day to day. As we exist, we have all experience conflict and division in our own families, between siblings, between parents and children, between us and the governing authorities or people who are not in the government. Uh, There's conflict everywhere. And these differences are no different. We know that in Scripture for the church, they're no different. In Scripture, there were several times that God decided we needed to know about the conflict that was taking place in different times and in different places in the church and outside the church. In Acts chapter 15, if you remember Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas had a a radical disagreement. It caused them to split their friendship. I'm going to read it to you here. He says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and to see how they are doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, Mark, who is the author of Mark. Actually, it is believed that Peter dictated to Mark and Mark wrote uh, the gospel. goes on to say, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, there is an adjective used here. Sharp disagreement. Now, if you imagine two people having a sharp disagreement, what do you think of? Well, I don't agree with you, brother. I I think that's not the way we should handle it. Do you think that that's how it was going on? The hair was on fire. The hands were going back and forth. How can you do it? I, I could just see them going, and they're stomping off and going back and forth, and I can't leave him behind. Oh, it was just a drag-out, knock-down type of argument. Now, they probably didn't go to fisticuffs, but they were certainly in each other's face. You know, that, that type of argument where you get in somebody's face, where you, you violate that personal space and you're right there. This is inside the church. And we think, oh, you know, Paul was such a wonderful man. Well, he was, but he was a fighter too. He, he had an attitude that just would not stop. And he was sarcastic and he was a finger in your eye kind of guy at times. Other times he was the most humble servant that the Lord could ever ask for. And he recognized his fallenness and how he had persecuted the church. But Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. And so that's two apostles. Two apostles are arguing with each other. How do I know that Barnabas was an apostle? Acts chapter 14, verse 14 calls Barnabas an apostle. Then there were two women inside the church. Are you familiar with the two women famously that had conflict inside the church? Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintichi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So imagine that. There were two women in the church that had a disagreement. And they just couldn't see eye to eye. They would come in. One woman would sit all the way on this side of the church. And the other woman would sit on that side of the church. And they'd probably wait till one of them exited. Then they felt free to exit. But they wouldn't talk with each other whatsoever. If they saw each other in the supermarket, they would go down the different aisles. So they wouldn't have to run through that same aisle and have to talk to them. Because they were so upset at each other. These are strong disagreements inside the church in the first century. Well, it wasn't just inside the church. Remember outside the church? Remember the Jews? Remember Moses and Korah? Korah, you know. Now, my grandfather was a Jew. And so I, I have enough Jewish blood in me to, if World War II were still here, I would be in a concentration camp. But the Jews... They are a stubborn lot. Not that I'm stubborn. I didn't get that gene. But they are so stubborn. And God even called them a stiff-necked people. 
It's like you're going to sit down. I may sit down, but I'm standing on the inside. You know, that type of thing. That's what they would display. Well, here's Korah. Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, a certain Reubenite, Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab, and son of, or, and on, son of Peleth, became insolent. Now, insolent is not disagreeable. Insolent is, I'm not doing what you want, and you can't make me do that, and I don't care if you have to kill me. I'm not doing it. That's the type of insolence that they were displaying. And they rose up against Moses. With them were Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. And why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So they're going to Moses and who made you Mr. Big Wig? Who put you in charge of everybody? Aren't we leaders as well? Why are you so special? And of course you know the story. The earth swallowed them all. It, it opened up, swallowed them and closed back over them, them and their entire families because of this conflict that was going on. It's like God had had it. All right, enough. Everybody out of the pool. You're done. Get out of here is the way that he basically let the whole community know. Stop this and be unified. And remember, these are not just small arguments. These are big arguments that have lifelong consequences. Now, I believe that Paul and Barnabas reconciled at some point because, you know, Mark ended up being with Paul after that. And and it was okay. And he actually authored one of the uh, Gospels. And I think there was some point at which Mark probably went to Paul and said, you know, I blew it. And that's how it's supposed to be. But sharp disagreements here. It's not only in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament, and it's in the physical realm here, but it was also in the spiritual realm where these conflicts were taking place. Michael the archangel and Satan, two angelic beings. Well, first we had two apostles, then we had two women, then we had two men, now we have two angelic beings. They're arguing over, well, let me read it here, Jude 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So he had this this conflict with the devil. He was disputing Michael the archangel going, you don't get his body. Oh, yes, I do get his, but no, you don't. You stand aside. And he finally ended up saying, the Lord rebuke you. And that was enough to get Satan to back away somehow And, of course, we know that the Lord was the one responsible for burying Moses. What would Satan have done with the body of Moses? It would be enshrined somewhere today, and there would be millions going to worship at the body of Moses, and that's why Moses' body was not allowed to remain in the hands of anyone or have a shrine made. But Michael and Satan, they were going at it as well. It's like, is all creation destined for this arguing in this conflict and these divisions well there was another one with michael of course he fights for the saints in daniel chapter 10 verse 13 remember daniel started praying and it was 21 days that he was delayed that michael got in a battle he started to deliver the message right away but he got delayed it says in daniel chapter 10 verse 13 after daniel had prayed but the prince of persia 
or the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me to help me. Excuse me, this was the angel uh, that was there. And Michael helped him because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So there was an angel dispatched with the information that Daniel needed, the answer to his prayer, and Michael had to come and prevent the enemy, Satan and his hordes, to keep this message from coming. He had to fight the angelic host. So we have this conflict everywhere. We have the, these differences everywhere. It, even in this church, believe it or not, I'll bet there are some differences. I'll bet there are some people that say of someone else inside the church, and by this, what I mean by this is, it's just statistically the average. There's going to be people that have disagreements. Well, I'm not going to hang out with them because, you know, they have this particular view. Or I, I'm not going to engage with a conversation with them because, you know, I, I just don't agree with them on anything. And there's that kind of difference. It's low-key. It's underneath. It's like a murmuring type thing. You know, when it comes to this COVID-19, how many disagreements do you think there were in the church over, should we open should we not open? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? I can't believe Pastor Bill is going to make people wear masks. I can't believe Pastor Bill is going to let people take off the masks. And, and it's just, it's just by statistics, that's the way it is. Now, if you're laughing, you're probably going, yeah, I kind of know somebody like that inside the church. And it, you know, and some people will not come because maybe they are, uh, if they're exposed, they have, better chance or a worse chance of succumbing to that and i get that and there's always going to be conflicts with decisions which are made and we're supposed to work through them and you know there is a reason for the conflict and it's spelled out for us in scripture at least one of the reasons is verse 19 if you look at that in chapter 11 says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So wait, we, we have to go through conflict inside the church is what the context is here. We have to have conflict inside the church to show which one God approves of. Well, how does that happen exactly? Well, it, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes years Trying to get people together that are in conflict is a very difficult thing to do. Most of the time people are reluctant to do so unless they find themselves in a particular situation where they are there together and there are other people around them that know of the conflict and they try to resolve it. That's just about the only time you're going to have any discussion about it. You might have separate discussions but the discussions usually do not come together and the conflict remains and it will continue throughout this life. Like some of these conflicts inside the church, they probably continued for life. They didn't go away. But it is necessary that it, there is conflict. So we were born for conflict. And the Lord wants to give us the remedy to fix it. So namely, it's for clarity. God wants conflict to bring clarity. If everybody just said, okay, like for instance, I want you to say okay after this. Everyone at once, just say okay. Let's go to the store and spend $1,000 on stupid stuff. You don't sound very enthusiastic. 
let's go walking through a crowd of a thousand people so that we might be exposed to COVID-19. Oh, you don't sound very enthusiastic, do you? But you see, if we did that, both of those things that I just told you, probably not in the will of the Lord, you think? But if everybody just agreed and maybe one person stood up and said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, we would find out the will of the Lord if there was some conflict in that, right? So God doesn't want us to be yes men and women. He doesn't want us to just bow to the the conventional wisdom that might be out there. It sounds good. God gives us all minds to think differently. And he may put some wisdom in the mind of someone. That's why in the counsel of many there is wisdom. And you weigh through the answers that are there. We should never just fall down and agree with everything that has taken place. That's why we have so much conflict when it comes to our political views. We are on different sides of the political spectrum in our country, and there's no way it's ever going to be resolved. And and sometimes you can convert somebody to your political political view, your particular views that you have, but most of the time it's not going to happen. And what usually takes place Instead of getting clarity, there ends up being more division inside, whether it's a political party or inside of a church, when you try to get somebody to see the other side. They just won't do it. And eventually, it degrades in what is known as an ad hominem attack, where somebody says, well, you're just stupid, something like that. They attack the person. They don't deal with the issue at hand. Or they, they obfuscate, they, they just muddy the waters and they make it into something that it's not and they try to go in another direction and if somebody tries to pin them down in the argument to get clarity, they will not be pinned down. It's like nailing jello to a wall. You cannot do that. You cannot nail it to the wall. And, and so this conflict is going to exist, but primarily it's for our benefit and it's for clarity. Now also... There's another reason why we have conflict, which was prevalent inside the church. Now, the church in Corinth, it was an immature church. There are a bunch of babies there, and they need a lot of ministering to. And by the way, Paul calls them brothers. He loves them. He calls them believers. They are just infants in the faith. And what causes fights when you're infants? Did you guys ever see that movie, Finding Nemo? Do you remember the seagulls that came in? That's what they said. They said, mine, mine. And you had a whole flock of seagulls saying, mine, mine? And they wanted whatever it was. That's our problem as well. We say, mine or my way james 4 1 what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you you want something but don't get it you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god and when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures Lord, please just let me win the lottery. I'll give most of it away. Really, I will. You know, and so we, we want things for ourselves, but we cloak it in this gratuitous attitude of I'll do everything for everybody else. If you just let me win. And 
you know, God sees right through that. He knows our heart, and that's why most of us don't win the lottery. It, it, because it would just ruin us. You've seen those stories about how people's lives are ruined once they, they get some money. It's a terrible thing. So certainly it's for clarity. It's for God's purpose to show who has his approval. It's also because of the fallen nature. But you know, there is a remedy for this conflict. Now, we don't like the remedy. You guys know what epicac is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what that is. Well, that is given to as a remedy. Maybe a child swallowed something and you need to get rid of what the child swallowed. So you give them the epicac and you don't like it. It's not good. doesn't taste well and it's not going to treat you well in just a matter of seconds. You will end up finding out what you did wrong and you'll try to never repeat that particular action afterwards. Well, the, the remedy for the conflict is like epicac. If you get into a conflict, when was the last time you just didn't say anything? You stopped and you didn't say anything, didn't try to defend yourself. You just sat there and with a good attitude. You weren't boiling on the inside, couldn't fry an egg on your head, something like that. Some could do it easier than others. You know, but this idea that you would just be quiet and not say a thing. James one nineteen, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So you see, if, if somebody wants to argue with you, now myself, I'm a fighter. You know, I, if, if there's an argument, I love engaging in the argument. I love winning arguments. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel justified. And that's just the way I am. And I know James 119 is there, but for me, it's epicac. I, I don't... I don't want to be slow to become angry. I want to fight. You know, and and this is, for me, it's just a personal note. For me, I was taught this way. I was taught in wrestling, kill them. Make them hurt until they scream for mercy. You know, that type of thing. And, and I was in water polo as well. In water polo, there's much more damage below the water than there is above the water in water polo. And you were taught to do these things and to be aggressive and to win the battle. And it's just part of the conditioning. That's why so many people in the military have PTSD when they come back. It's turning that off. And it, it's some, for some, it's impossible to do that and certainly we should be praying for them but this idea of just backing down not being angry listen to what the person has to say look at them as god looks at them now you might say well god doesn't agree with them either you know he should agree with me if you start doing that they're a sinner just like you or i are sinners and we're to have god's view with that individual and that is so hard i believe None of us really do that on a regular basis. But God has a remedy. Just be quiet, slow to become angry. Also, considering others better than ourselves. This is Philippians 2, 3. You've heard me quote this verse several times. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look after uh, not only your own interests, but also the interests of others. 
So placing someone else first and their needs before your own or my own needs is the way that we're supposed to help resolve the conflict. And then finally, and these are just three points. I could give you probably a dozen points. But if you employ these three, you will go a long way. 1 Corinthians 6, 7, remember that chapter? It's about lawsuits. And in that particular chapter, in verse 7, he said that the Corinthians were defeated because they're going to the secular courts. And he, he lists this at, in the middle of the verse. He says, why not rather be wronged? We have this strong sense of justice on the inside where we want to be right. We want to be justified in the eyes of others that we acted properly. But to stand there and say, okay, go ahead, take advantage of me. That is really not within us again. We don't want somebody to take advantage of us. Uh, Let me ask you this. When you see the conflict taking place, whether in Seattle or New York or even in Europe now, BLM, they're having protests in Europe and people are making memes about it and they're going, why? Why are they having the conflict over there? But when you see it here and you see the destruction of property, I, I saw this one video. It was a, a black gentleman. He went into Seattle up there to the CHOP, Chaz, formerly Chaz, and he started overturning tables. I thought of Jesus. He, he walked up. He was thrown over these tables that had food and everything on them for the people inside the autonomous zone there. And he was taking the barricades and he'd take them apart and he'd throw them away. You don't even live here. Yeah, his sense of righteousness was like, get out of here. You, you don't belong here. It's a one man army going in there. And somebody was videoing it on their phone and you know, inside I'm going, you go, you go, brother, you, you get them and tell them something new that they haven't heard. And on the other hand, you know, they're, they're starting to gather around him. He never got attacked, but they started gathering around him. There are people dying in there from gunshots. I I read this one little article. Somebody got in there and he got shot. I I don't know if it was five times. I don't know if the article was correct, but then he lamented that the police left him in there. You don't want the police. And, you know, your sense of you're being stupid. You you want to tell the person this is not right. You want to stand on justice and righteousness. And why not rather be wrong? How does that apply to this stuff? Do we stand up for the defense of others? I would say every time. But for ourselves personally, God says, hey, why not rather be wronged? And you have to use wisdom. When it's time to be wronged and when it's time to fight. There's a popular king in the Old Testament. His name was Solomon. Read chapter 3. There's a time for everything. A time for war and a time for peace. And he was the wisest king that ever lived. And so, first one, let yourself be quiet. Second one, consider others better than yourself. Third one, think about letting yourself be wronged. I mean, what if somebody takes something from you? Now, as a a business owner, there have been times where I've been in court and there are times where I just said, forget it. I'm not taking them to court. The Lord will get you. 
is my attitude on the inside. The Lord, he's going to repay you for this. And the Lord can restore anything that somebody takes away. He can do it like that. I, I saw another new uh, news blurb. Some guy won a $4 million lottery twice. Not just once, but twice. What's the chances of that? Can't you spread the wealth a little bit? Is he heaping it onto himself for his own particular lust and, and pleasures? Probably he is. But the Lord can do that to anybody. And somebody might raise their hand and say, I'll volunteer. But the Lord doesn't have that for all of us. Most of us, it's like, no, you're going to be privileged to suffer. And sometimes to the point of death, the rest of the world, the rest of Christendom, over in China, for instance, they have taken members of the Muslim community, of Falun Gong and Christians, and they are forcibly taking their organs and selling them on the medical circuit. So if, if they don't agree with them religiously, they imprison them, then they take their organs and they just die. Right there is what they're doing. And, you know, you see stuff like that and there's, oh, it, it just gets worse and worse when you look at the world and the way that it is. And that would be a perfect case where we would stand up and say, no, we're going to fight for those who you're killing. They're still made in the image of God and you have no value in human life. And so we have to have the proper perspective, when to act, when not to act, when to open up our mouths, when not to open up our mouths. But this is just one avenue that we can have and most of our conflict is interpersonal we're not dealing with things in china or in seattle we're dealing with things like at the store have you seen people try to make it into stores without wearing masks and how they try to stop them there and i saw this one this guy he's about six foot two sticking out his hands like this with a mask on and and some older gentleman I don't know if he's a gentleman, but he, he wanted to make his way into the store, and the guy's trying to block him like this, going back and forth. And, and the guy, he was just upset. He wouldn't let him walk into the store without a mask on. He goes, just put on a mask, man. Where you been? You know, these last three months, everybody's wearing a mask. And he didn't want to do it. And so there's this conflict that's going on. And the guy who has his hands out like that is trying to protect the entire store from this guy who may be coming in. And so that's a time where you would stand up. This is not a time where you let yourself and everybody else be wronged. And so God can give us wisdom on this. And inside the church, finally, with his idea of conflict, if there are arguments inside the church, you have to ask yourself, is this over style? Is this over scripture? Is it me? Is it harming others? What's going on? Should I take the stand that I'm taking? And see, that's where the Philippians chapter 2, 3, and 4 comes in. Considering others better than yourself. So this conflict has been with us. Now, it gets more specific here in verse 20 about what the conflict was really about that Paul brought up. And he said he had no praise for them in this. Verse 20, when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. In other words, they thought they were celebrating the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul says, that's not what you're doing. You're doing something different. He goes on to say, verse 22, don't you have homes to... Oh, wait, verse 21, as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. 
Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not, exclamation point. So you have to understand what's going on. They would have what would be termed as a love feast, a potluck and communion. They would have them both together. You would have the wealthy families show up, wealthy individuals. They would show up to church and they'd put out their spread They would have their goat over here. They'd have their lamb over there. They'd have their hummus over here, the olive oil and their bread over there. And they would have their spread going. And they'd probably set up their reclining chairs in a particular corner of the church. And and they would just sit there and eat. And, of course, their drink of choice was wine. That's what they drank back then, even inside the church. They had that. And there's a big debate, well, it was non-alcoholic, and others would say, no, it was alcoholic, and the best wine is, I'm not even going to go down that road. They had wine, okay? Jesus had wine, he made wine, there's wine back then. And and so that's what they would do. They would drink, and they'd be laughing and telling stories, and have another drink, and they'd drink, and they'd get a little tipsy. And what happens when you get a little tipsy? You lose inhibition, and then you start saying things you shouldn't say. And doing things you shouldn't do. And so you'd be tipsy and you'd make some comment about somebody inside the church. And it probably wasn't nice or edifying. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. And it may benefit those who listen. They weren't doing that. They were saying things that were causing conflict amongst the people, making them feel bad, doing harm to relationships there, having to go back afterwards and say, I don't know what I said at that communion service, but I am so sorry. Oh, they told me what I did. I can't believe what I did. You could see it, right? That is what was taking place. And then after having this nice spread, somebody who was poor and back then, They had real poverty. People who were starving. We don't see that here. We see that over in other third world countries. People are starving. But even there, they're doing better now. Back then, you could starve to death. No question about it. You could starve to death. They would come inside the church and they wouldn't have anything. And the people who had an abundance wouldn't share it with those who came in later or those who were there at the same time. And so they were being humiliated because they didn't have anything, probably being made fun of inside the church. Remember, these are pagans who became Christians, who were infants that didn't know how to act inside the church. And so they were causing harm inside the church. They were causing the division. Probably one of the leaders inside the church, Paul, uh, Peter, Apollos, probably one of them was making a point going, You know, this ought not to be where we have these love feasts like this and we're making these divisions inside the church. And one person would say, well, I want to follow him. That was Apollos. That's exactly right. And another would say, well, you know, I haven't made a conflict. I'm not really sure. Or I made a comment on that. I'm not really sure the conflict. And somebody said, well, I agree with that. The conflict, I think, is overblown. And you could see how the separation would take place inside the church. And they didn't have the Bible. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. And Paul wrote this letter, which was Scripture to them. And so that's the conflict that was taking place. It was over the Lord's Supper. They had not received the food together. They weren't waiting. 
Some people would get there early and they'd be almost done by the time half the other church came. They're not sharing with others who had little and they were imbibing too much alcohol. And like I said before, that was their common beverage. And when somebody drinks too much, we know that there's going to be problems. So Paul goes on to explain the problem or the proper context in receiving communion. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So when we receive communion, we are recognizing the death of an individual, specifically God in human form who came down to save us, gave everything so that we might live. And here in this corner, you have this family just drinking it up and yelling, Woo-hoo! have some more. And on this side, you had people starving and they all get together and they receive communion. He's going, this is not the Lord's Supper that you guys are commemorating here. You guys are completely in your flesh. There are those who are offended, probably never come back to the church, will avoid you altogether, those who practice this idea of just feasting at one of these events, rather than being humble, sharing everything that they had in common. In the book of Acts, remember they were selling properties and items that they had so that they might share with those who didn't have anything. And if we are proclaiming the Lord's death and getting drunk at the same time, is it honoring to God? The answer is no. If we are proclaiming the Lord's death and we have a potluck but do not share with those who are hungry, is this honoring to God? No. And if we separate into familiar groups and exclude others not like us, is this honoring to God? The answer is no. And that's what they were all guilty of. And if we are so concerned with ourselves and start eating without waiting for others in the body, is this honoring to God? No, it's not. And so when we have potlucks, what do we do? We wait. We don't let people just dive right in. Raising children or grandchildren, if they're sitting there eating or they want to start eating, they just start grabbing. No, wait. Let's wait for everyone. That's just common sense. That's common courtesy. Well, the church was not practicing that. And Paul had no praise for them in this. So in receiving the communion, we are to proclaim God to the or to God, to the angels, and to all humankind that Jesus died for us. That's what we're doing. It's a commemoration. The world sees this idea of communion. We are sinners who have been redeemed by this very act that Jesus died, gave his blood and his body for us. It's a commemorative time. This Jesus who is the second person of the Trinity, the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who gave us life so that we might have eternity full of bliss and contentment. And there was no bliss and contentment in their meetings. And this is not all that's going on. When we get into the next chapter, the gifts were being abused. And so the people of Corinth were completely missing the point and even sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 27, he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
Now, they were treating the sacrifice with disrespect. They were not doing a self-examination. And this passage is not saying people need to buck up on the works. They need to improve the works or increase them in numbers in order to become worthy. Because you see, it says an unworthy manner. Well, how do you become worthy? It's by performing a self-examination. Have I been kind to my brothers Have I, uh, or my sisters as well? Do I love the Lord my God with all my heart, si- uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are those things true? That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about additional works to become worthy to receive the communion because that is anathema to the gospel. We're not saved by works. That doesn't make us worthy. Our righteousness is as filthy rags according to the book of Isaiah. And so it's a self-examination. Lord, have I treated you well in my respectful attitude towards you? Am I disregarding you completely? Am I just saying your ways are your ways and my ways are my ways and that's the end of the story? Are we treating those who are around us with respect and gentleness and compassion even when they don't deserve it? Did we deserve Christ to come down and die for us? No, but he had compassion on us as well. This is very poignant for our time because there would be so many who would oppose us as Christians. So we need to make sure that when conflict comes, and trust me, this week, next week, you're going to have some conflict. And you're going to get a chance to apply this. You're going to say, now I remember that, and you're going to decide, am I going to just remain silent? Am I not going to say anything? Am I willing to be wronged? And so this is the dilemma that they were faced with here, but they did not even recognize it. Now, since we have the word, we recognize it. Verse 30 says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. That word asleep should just be died. God judged them. Because they were treating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with disrespect, not examining themselves or treating their brothers and sisters with that same respect. So the idea is not to keep people away from the table of communion when you do this examination. And it's to prepare them to receive it in a right way. So we examine our hearts before we receive it. Verse 31, but if we judged ourselves, we had not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further direction. So if I am in the midst of conflict or in a relationship with Christ, am I examining myself? We're supposed to be doing this daily. We're to judge ourselves daily. And once we truly examine ourselves, it should bring humility. Have you ever sat back and thought of your life? Now, when you go over your life, all the things that you can remember, are all those things mostly good and wonderful and what a great person you are and the things you have accomplished? And wow, you're... You're right up there. On a scale from 1 to 10, you're at least a nine and a half. Is that what you look at? Yeah, I don't know about you, but when I view my life, I go, oh, ow, oh. It causes me 
anxiety. Did I really do that? I, and it causes me on the inside to recoil because I think of all the sins I have committed and the older I get, the more sins I commit. And the more I think about it, the worse I feel on the inside. And I go, Lord, who will deliver me from this body of death? I know the good that I want to do is not the good that I do, but the bad things I should not do, those are the very things I run to. That's Romans chapter 7 at the end. Paul was faced with the same dilemma. How do I stop this? You see, that's where God's grace comes in. We don't fall into this condemnation, and that's what happens to a lot of people, especially with this COVID-19 thing. They're sequestered. They don't have anybody to talk to. They don't know that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And they think about themselves and all the mistakes they've made and all the pain that they have caused. And they don't have any way to get out. They don't have the gospel. They don't know that if they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. And the old things are passed away and behold, everything becomes new. That's how we're supposed to view it. So when we do the self-examination, it's to drive us down, make us humble, and then when Christ comes along, he picks us up. He goes, I know. He doesn't come along and say, oh, you're not that bad. No. He says, oh, you are so bad, you have to die. And then I'll give you a new body. But see, that's how it works, and most of the world doesn't understand that. And if somebody goes around and says, oh, they're such a good person. (laughs) No, they're not. On the inside, they are just as evil, as corrupt as Satan himself, just like all of us are. But God is going to redeem us because we're trusting in him to do that. So with the scripture we look back to, we are not condemned for such things. But when we come to the realization that Christ still loves us, still loves me, even though we or I am so sinful that he died for us. And that is why they were blowing it so much when it came to communion. They were not participating properly, really realizing what Christ has done. So this ultimately should fill us with not only humility, but with extreme gratitude. When we get to the end of it all, and we look at ourselves, and we look at Christ, we are just thankful beyond belief for what he has done. And this is our motivation to love others as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your insight. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote so many things down, who was in conflict himself on the inside of doing what was right. A man who murdered those inside the church and regretted it every day of his life. But you had your grace upon him. We ask that you would shed your grace upon us as well. Help us to judge ourselves as you would judge us. Drive us to that point of humility so that we might, Lord, have extreme gratitude for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.